And welcome back to another episode of The Discussion Phase, a board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love. On this week's episode, I'm joined by my co-hosts, David and John, and today we're talking about the much-awaited, much-acclaimed, uh, anticipated game, Oath, um, by Cole Worley. We recently got a play in and we're ready to talk all about it. We'll be continuing our breakdown of board game mechanics this week, talking all about real-time strategy games. And uh, stick around as we announce the winner for our giveaway. Buckle up. All right, guys. So, Matthew, I think you you were saying right before we we sat down to record, you've gotten a bunch of plays in recently. Uh, I've gotten this past week. I've only gotten one play Ooh. in this past week. Um, That's always hard. Yeah. Um, the reason why is because a couple has been out of town, but even more excitingly. Our uh, gaming group has grown by one uh, this past week. As we Ooh, mentioned before, that uh, that uh, Jacob uh, and his wife Sage were expecting. Um, and we've literally, for the past week and a half, just been anticipating the day when it's going to happen. Uh, very funnily, um, that uh, Jacob, you know, he's like, hey, guys, the baby hasn't come yet. Do y'all want to get another game night in? Hey, guys, the baby <laughs> still hasn't come in. Do you want to get one more game night before the baby comes? Um, but yesterday, on Father's Day, the little, the little man... Uh, Little man entered the world, and uh, so Jake is going to be indisposed for um, for a little while, and so but yeah. we're going to hold down the fort for him. Yeah, and we and we won't spoil the name. None of the details will be shared, but uh, exciting little baby boy born on uh, Sunday evening, I believe. We are so so excited for this little stud to be participating in all the game nights. Am I right, boys? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And by participating, just sitting there very quietly, not crying, he's, not hungry, not can, needing to. Use can the you bathroom. imagine how much game knowledge he's going to absorb? But his first words are going to be like, uh, it's my turn or whose turn is it? You know, he's going to just be a rock star. Yeah. What do they say? Play like classical music and Beethoven and stuff to while your uh, children sleep and everything. But while he's taking little naps, we'll be in there getting some game sesh. Um, you guys have seen you guys have seen the Queen's Gambit, right? I haven't yeah, watched it. We've, no. we've talked about it. A right. Lot, yeah. So, you know, in the, the scenes where she's just like laying in bed, and she looks up and she's like playing chess on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. That's going to be baby Booth just. Mm. Planning out his moves of Great Western <laughs> yeah. Trail, do you think, deciding what cattle he's going to deliver to Kansas City. Yeah, that. do you think it's going to turn into one of the th- those things like on Fortnite and Call of Duty and stuff? These little eight year olds and stuff that are just Prodigies. sniping headshots, prodigies. Oh, yeah. yeah, man, he's just going to grow. He's going to be uh, in the Great Western Trail Championships twenty twenty eight. Mark my words. Yeah, he's going to be that eight year old who's scoring over three hundred points in terraforming Mars. We exactly. always hear about. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's exciting. And so yeah, and some of the guys have been out of town. So I haven't gotten any plays in other than one. And that's what we're going to be talking about um, on today's episode in depth is Oath. Um, but we'll get more into that. But I know that you guys have been getting in a lot more games here this week than I have. And one game that David has been anticipating for a while now and has been super excited about is Too Many Bones. So let me tell you guys what you need to get into. You need to get in on the trading game because that's how mm. you take your collection of games that you just don't play anymore and make big brain strats to turn them into fantastic games that cost way more than they should. <laughs> Did you get everything for too many bones? Just about, I'm missing like two or three things, but long story short is I basically got a hundred dollars worth of game in my favor traded um, for this. So that was fantastic. So I'm really excited for this game. It's co-op and there's not a lot of ga- a lot of co-op games that we like. Um, so I'm really hoping that this will be just one that we can, you know, sink our teeth into. What did, what did it cost you, David? Um, it cost me on Mars. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it um, and a brand new copy of Oath, mm-hmm. and I didn't have to worry about Oath because Matthew already has Oath. Yeah. So and and I appreciate your wise counsel. I was I had the chance to pull the trigger on a copy of Oath, 
And let me tell you, you're like, John, don't do it. And after playing Oath, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, there's no reason why I need a copy and Matthew needs a copy. As beautiful and as lovely as that game is, um, well played it now, I'm trying to get in the trade game too. So if anyone out there is interested in um, Destiny Collector's Edition chess set. That is in pristine, pristine condition. Pristine condition, not even taken out of the box i'm looking for the spirit island expansions so yeah what is it it's great (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't even find it on bgg so i don't think i have much hope well yeah it's it's a grade 10 uh mint condition Mm. have you all been seeing all the stuff that's been going on with these pokemon cards oh yeah we're talking about games right but pokemon is a game so we can talk about going nuts right now i've seen some things about people tearing up walmart and and yep. whatnot oh for, people have been getting in targets, fights and targets, targets don't sell cards anymore yeah. they were saying safety hazard safety hazard and the crazy thing is it's all logan uh, paul well logan paul started and then a lot of you know famous influencers got in on the hype right people that just have tons of expendable income want to relive their childhood glory days are ordering you know twenty thousand dollar boxes of pokemon cards but it's all perceived value because there's not actually a real market for it past the hype so it's really interesting and then additionally there's over like a year delay unless you pay extra for grading through psa and beckett i think is the other company that does it beckett is the more more and now companies are starting uh, to come up new grading systems and then it calls into the whole question like well who can determine what before it was such a small area like yeah you just went to psa or you went to beckett and they graded it for you right so it's super interesting to think about how like it's almost like Dogecoin, right? It was just this hype or the GameStop thing. Like it overvalues and then it continues. Some people make bank from it and then some people put a bunch of money into it and and it doesn't pan out. But yeah, uh, I think those collector box startup boxes, the ones with like 20 yeah. packs in them are going for over $300,000. Yes. And the issue is as soon as you crack the seal on it, Value's gone. Oh, Unless you pull a holographic Charizard exactly. out of it. Did you see Logan Paul came out with like a gold-plated one with his Yeah, so, let's, so we got, the, myself, John, and Jacob, we got together for that Logan Paul Best Mayweather. $17 yeah, I spent. And think, yeah, and we we missed the first round, too, but we each spent collectively $17 a piece uh, for, for the it. Paper they, they just yeah. hugged each other the whole time, didn't Pretty they? Pretty much. Is that what yeah. I heard? Hey, we yeah. just saw two bros sweating it out. Yeah, The honestly, the best part of the fight was the walk-in for each of them. Because mm-hmm. uh, Logan walks in with the music from The Greatest Showman, and he has a million dollar pokemon card around his neck <laughs> and then logan it's a, not even a joke a million dollar pokemon Floyd card may the weather walks in with like migos rapping and it's it was just interesting and well but, he had rappers going before that even yeah. so he had like several rap processions but, but going back to what we're talking about too mm-hmm. many bones yeah so the one big stick about this game that i've always heard about is like you could play it in your pool um because it's neoprene it's poker chips everything's waterproof and, yep. and i made a joke it's like um David, you know, he's going to tell his wife, hey, Sam, you know, why don't we stay in tonight? I'll draw us a bath. We'll just have just me and you time, <laughs> husband and wife. And then uh, I'll light some candles and stuff. And unbeknownst to Sam, he's actually setting up uh, too many bones in the bathtub. Um, and Sam just walks in him on and he's just playing a board game in the water. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's going to happen if it hasn't right. already. Well, I can't make any promises, but Sounds Sam like did say till, time. till death do his part. So. You're going to put it to the challenge. We're going to put it That's to the fair. challenge. Yeah. yeah. So it is waterproof. I, my, my in-laws uh, FaceTimed us. And one of the things I, I took a card and I just dumped a bunch of water all over it and it was fine. So. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah. Can you submerge? It may be water resistant, but no, can no, you, you submerge can. it in water for long periods of time? Yeah. I think you should take plastic. one of the cards. Why would you want to? Yeah. Are the cards like actual plastic? Yeah. What is the point of of that I, is it just a stick, honestly, stick it, or is it actually make I, the game better? No, no. Well, shuffling the cards is feels nice so yeah, i'm it, sure it feels nice to shuffle but without sleeves right 
but I mean, I don't know if you don't want your game to be ruined by water. Like, did it drive up the cost? Like, could the game be 50% cheaper? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Yes. I'm all about spending extra money for improved quality, but do you feel a game is has 50% Bettered. more quality because everything's plastic and neoprene? The components all feel very nice. Okay. So, you, like, you guys is- will see when you feel it, when you see it, 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 like, everything looks nice. The quality of the game is 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 really up there so and, and you're not really worried about it getting weathered or beat up right like no. if we're sitting at the table and someone spills a coffee all over it right you're yeah. you're well you're not uh, worried well, coffee yeah might stain the neoprene fair but, but you know what i'm talking about but we, water is fine you we, know it's well, not you're not, not playing anything. this with your local neighbor who has a three-year-old child coming over dorito fingers dorito finger dorito yeah. finger but oh, yeah so, so we're excited for that and just some recent plays that that we got in so sam and i have been playing path of light and shadow okay uh, this is a game that really flew under a lot of people's radar yeah. a few years ago um, it's basically a deck building worker placement game. Now mm-hmm. you guys know that in normal deck builders, there's a market of cards yep. and then the cards in your hand typically have purchasing power, yep. right? Um, in this one, rather than purchasing cards, your cards upgrade to specific mm. cards and um, the most, like the highest tier that it can upgrade to, there's only one copy okay. in like each of the several different factions that you can upgrade to. So there's different routes that you can go through. Um, it's been it's been fun. I think my the best part about it is is it, it's a game that looks like it would drag on for maybe an hour and a half, mm-hmm. and we play it in like forty five minutes, um, awesome. which is really nice. So there was an expansion that was out on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, I will probably late pledge for it. I'm going to play it a few more times, but um, we'll see how it goes. Um, we've been playing that. We also played uh, Black Orchestra. Mm. Now, you guys were not too favorable of Black Black Orchestra. I like the theme. I don't get as upset around dice roll finishes. Uh, it was a little disappointing, but uh, I have a very. I felt like I had a very scathing review of it after the first play. Yeah. So, and and from what I understand, some of the expansion packs also add more characters with more uh, abilities that sure. you develop. And so, I don't know what what those do, but I know that for um, the one that that I had, it let it allowed me to look at the top three cards of the event deck. Which, from what I understand, mm-hmm. the the event deck is really swingy, right? Oh, yeah. it, it would just completely just ruin an Re-ranks entire round of strategy before it gets back to you. Right. So being able to plan and place them in any mm-hmm. order was really nice. Um, I don't know if I would play without that, but um, certainly I think for me the game is more about role playing and getting into the theme than it is about than it is about w- winning. Right? Sure. That's that's what I think. You know, I think Spirit Island is definitely more of a game of like you're trying to strategize and you're trying to win. Mm-hmm. Um, not to saying that Black Orchestra you're not, but it's more about the theme and the experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long did it take that? you all to play? Um, I don't know. Maybe like... I just felt it's outstayed its welcome a yeah, little bit. About two, maybe hour and a half to two hours, something yeah. like that. So it, it, I, I guess maybe it was a little bit on the long side, but it was also my first time. It was three of us, uh, Sage, Samantha, and I, where it was our first time playing. So maybe that might have added a little bit of time to it. But we sure. played that Bang the Dice game. John, have you played that? I have not. Ooh. So Jacob, if you're listening, John has not played Bang the Dice game, so you'll Bang. have to... Yeah, oh, but it's essentially, <laughs> why would you play that when you can play Dice Throne? I don't know. Because essentially you're rolling dice, you're trying to get different combinations. But they're two different, different games. One's a one's a dice rolling fighting game. Uh, the other one is kind of like a social deduction. A little, so they're sitting okay. rolls. But you're still okay. trying to kill somebody hey. with their health. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But I also got a, a couple plays in this weekend um, as well as last week. So last week we did play Oath, which we'll talk about. But I had the pleasure of introducing some new young kids to the board gaming hobby. So I got to teach... Um, a couple um, family friends of uh, mine and Caitlin's Catan, 
one of them had gotten it for their birthday last year and they had not understood the rules and didn't know where to go. So they heard that I played board games and I got invited over for dinner to teach them Catan. Just specifically to teach them Catan. To teach them, well, and play and obviously just hang out, you know, and have a That's good cool. time. But um, it was really cool for me to share that kind of hobby. And Dude, you're like a consultant. Way. So I know I'm like the representative of the board game community to this. <laughs> I showed them the app and everything. And they're like, you track your plays on that? Like, can you add us to this? It was so funny. Um, we had a good time. I didn't win. Actually, their dad won. So um it was a lot of fun and they enjoyed it and they actually understood how to play thanks yeah. to my were you a hard-nosed trader like uh some people we know no i was i was going one for one with them all day long oh. so i, I think why i gave play? i think i gave why each why person play? one of their cities so uh, i'll just sit there and watch you play for it, it was really fun to uh to no, get do that and then also over the weekend i was out in chattanooga with a, another couple friends of ours and we broke out spades so a classic old trick-taking game uh, but we played a handful of different rounds over the course of the weekend, and uh, I was undefeated over the three games we played. So shout out to uh, Caitlin. We played two two games with the two of us as partners, and we were undefeated. And then my buddy Oseus as well. So it was a lot of fun to play a classic, simple trick-taking game. Yeah. Can I tell you guys a game I'm really excited about? Oh, yeah. Crash Octopus. Okay. So, okay. Not, can you explain oh. this game to me? Because I've seen a little bit about it on Facebook and on uh, BGG and the Discord. But I have not purchased it because it just got to backers. I'm hoping that I can acquire it possibly before we go this weekend. Um, we're traveling out of town to go see my sister. Um, but it's a it's a dexterity game. Okay. So you're using uh, your every player is a ship. And you're in the ocean trying to collect treasure that's floating out in the water, mm-hmm. but. The big kicker is there's a giant octopus that has emerged, basically mm. like a kraken, gotcha, and is getting in your way of getting this treasure. And so essentially, it's just a, it's just a flicking game where you're using a flag to flick pieces, and as if it hits your ship, you get to collect it. However, if something comes and hits your ship and causes the stuff to knock down, then um, that treasure is lost, and then you just basically play through rounds till you have to um, get the thing. But you can move; the octopus will move around, mm-hmm. get in your way. You can move your ship by flicking an anchor, and wherever the anchor lands, you move your ship to. Um, yeah, so sounds it, like a lot of fun. It just looks like a like a fun game that really isn't. You know, it's not like a Euro or anything, obviously. Sure. It's just yeah. a dexterity game, speaking, but it looks cute. Speaking of a new game coming out with Ships in the Water, have you seen the reskin that they're going to be doing for Battlestar Galactica? Yes, Unfathomable. Unfathomable. Yeah. Now, are, have you any of you been into Battlestar Galactica or played the game before? I, I will not. probably never care ever in my life about Battlestar Galactica. Sheesh. Okay, David. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost half of our yeah. listeners there. Okay, you just go there and you can watch Avatar The Last Airbender for the rest of your life and just sit there. We'll watch men uh, fantasy shows. John, back me up on this. I haven't seen either of them, so but, all right, well, uh, well, I'll be watching Lord of the Rings. Thank you okay. very much for well for context, and it's a great show. You should go out and watch it. Um, but um, for context, it's been allotted as kind of one of the best um, hidden IP role hidden role games. That is like a gamery kind of hidden role uh, game. Um, that's also very very deep in the ip um but it's been out of print and it's like one of those games you're constantly seeing on uh board game geek and ebay and facebook marketplace yep. and, and the tradings a for lot more now since this one was announced yeah so people are trying to get their hands on it. it's always been going for a lot the base game annex expansion like two three hundred dollars yeah yeah especially if it's just in shrink but it's been out of print and i don't know why it's been out of print fantasy flight why they do certain things they do yeah, it they, makes no sense they're weird sometimes about that aren't yeah. they yeah. hey here's a game that is really popular people are willing to pay out the nose for uh just copies of it from other now secondhand copies who's publishing unfathomable 
fantasy flight. flight. It is okay. Yeah. I was going to ask because it's it with. Like, it's, so I, they've had to have lost some sort of license to the IP. That's my only assumption because I was thinking maybe it was a competitor that was releasing that I was going. I don't like know why because there's that no other and no other games being used for the Battlestar. I mean, Battlestar Galactica is no longer in. It's not a thing anymore. Yeah, so I'm then, saying maybe no, the, the actually, people who own Battlestar Galactica either were probably a going to charge them an absurd amount of money. A, they said, "Hey, people are going to buy this game because they know it's about the same thing." Uh, so we'll just use our own IP and not use Battlestar Galactica. Or B, there was some you know falling out with with that. I don't know. Honestly, for me, the Cthulhu like I know Cthulhu is overdone in like so many different things. But, sure, but that theme and setting, 1920s. You know, Cthulhu just it speaks to me more than Battlestar Galactica. So yeah. I would be willing to play yeah. uh, unfathomable. unfathomable. Yeah. So actually, they are in the works for putting together a new uh, Battlestar Galactica oh, series. Mm. Yeah. Through, I believe, it's with NBC with the Peacock, so, new yeah. streaming service. Then I wouldn't and everything. be surprised if they were trying to charge out the wazoo for some sort of reprints on Possibly. Licensing. But essentially, it's the same concept, but with the old Arkham horror uh, Cthulhu sure. theme, which I I am, I'd be happy if I never saw that theme on another board game for the rest of my life. Ooh, Ooh. Death May Die? Ooh, Death May Die. Oh. It's not that it's bad or it hasn't been on good games. I just feel like any opportunity to put a giant Cthulhu tentacle monster on a board game, they don't pass up the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like it started turning into zombies. It's like, okay, I, I can live without another zombie game. Yeah, there's definitely like fads. I mean, Sorry, go ahead. Not true. <laughs> the the fad that's going in right now, I think, is you see a lot of nature games. Like Wingspan came out, and then like everybody's sure. printing a bunch of of similar nature uh, themed games. So you know, they're just fads. Yeah, I was th- just thinking. I know um, last time I was in Nashville, Byron had just gotten in uh, Kemet, the new reprint, and yep. they had a Cthulhu based yes uh, expansion for that, which is just very not part of the theme and the at all right mechanics and of uh, the you know the minis look really cool, but it didn't quite fit in that Egyptian. Theme. So I get your point, Matt. It's, yeah. it's I mean, why would you want to go and face the immortal one who will who take your soul to the underworld? I mean, you can't win. Well, hey, uh, but Spoiler you can alert. if you play Cthulhu Death May Die. John, thank you for uh, making these transactions happen. Yes, yeah. facilitating these transactions between myself and Byron. So the I legend pre- himself. That's right. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, you can't you can't beat him, man. He's no. he's too good. Why so. didn't you get the giant Cthulhu statue? Uh, that because that's just seven. one. That's just one expand. Like that's a one. There's expansion. like a bunch of campaigns for it, but it's yeah. It's, it's to put. It's a mantelpiece. It's yeah. a statement piece. When someone walks exactly. into your house and you see a I tentacle demon, <laughs> that would be actually yeah on your coffee scare table. Away potential suitors, you know your future children. Yeah, yeah, on your coffee table. Yeah, you just invite giant. some people over for a Bible just, study, and the, you just walk just in. Wake me up when they have the flying spaghetti monster in uh, in a board game. Yeah. So. Anyways, I'm excited. I will, whenever John gets back and whenever our schedule is aligned, we will, he will be delivering that to me. And what you can do in that game is the more insane you get, the more powerful you get. Oh yeah. And eventually you beat Cthulhu. I love it. What, what do you do with all the insanity though at the end? Go crazy. You go Just crazy. arranged. And, well, okay. if you go too insane, you lose. So you're trying to like track, you're trying to manage you're, that. You're just as sane as I am. Yeah. Yeah. And then apparently you two are getting together. Wednesday night this week for uh, War of the Ring. Hopefully. So I guess I'm not doing anything Wednesday night. You're welcome to come spectate. Okay. You want to hang out? And may swing by and spectate. Brady might be back. Yeah. Brady and I I will go do something else. There you go. All right. Well, listen, we can come and sit and we'll play another two-player game while you do that. But War of the Ring probably take up your entire table. There you go. I'm excited. All All right. So we all got in this game called Oath, Matthew. So can you... For the people out there, and if there's anyone listening to this podcast who hasn't heard of Oath, I don't know how you found this podcast. Well, welcome. Um, but Matthew, you want to give me the full title? Yeah. So the game mm-hmm. is called Oath: Chronicles of Empire 
and Exile. And I think the most important part of that title is Chronicle. Um, and we'll kind of get into more of why, but I think that one little word in, the, in that entire title, I think, describes this game more than anything else. Because um, I didn't even have, had a general concept of how the game played, but you, there's no way you really understand how this game works or even how its mechanics integrate or the strategies until you get that first play in. Uh, we're all pretty competitive, but even we looked at it, like, guys, we're going to go into this as a learning game so we can learn how to experience, how to enjoy it. I think this is one of those games to where you have to put in a little bit of work before you get started. Right. Uh, but the basic premise is that it's a one to six player game. I don't, I haven't looked at too much of the, how the solo works on it. Uh, but the general premise is, I don't know. It's not, a, it is fantasy, but it's like fantasy adjacent. To it, where, it is a world that has been built by the artist, Kyle Farron. It's yeah, the same yeah. guy did the art for Fort and for more popular is root. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it is fantasy i think in that they're like you know some knights and some but there's some are like creature or some of the characters are animal people but yeah. some of them are like weird human adjacent type stuff it's not like it's not like some it's high fantasy or anything. It's, it's not high fantasy it's, it's like not surreal and maybe. it's not ultra detailed i mean like you look at some of the yeah. um what do you call the places the, the uh, sites the sites you look at some of the sites and yeah. the houses are literally just squares with triangles on top of yeah. them or whatever but the way that he does the art is is very appealing fantastic yeah and so it's hard to even say like this is what mechanic would you say oath is um and some people can put the title like uh, area control on there or a combat type system and i think that is a little too simplistic and we're going to go in more details for it but the main premise is that uh, we play their game with four uh one person each round it's going to be labeled as the chancellor and essentially they rule like i think they start out as the most powerful most powerful character in the beginning of the game easiest route to victory Mm -hmm. um and everyone else starts as an exile um this is where the term chronicle comes in because you really are i you know i kind of mentioned to the guys before i feel like there's going to be like some role-playing type stuff into our characters and Mm -hmm. like why would my character do this or that there's no backstory but you kind of create it as you play um but all the other characters are exile there's actions in the game to where you can become a citizen of the chancellor and mm-hmm. and gain a new all everything you do in the game is based on how to what when conditions do I want to go after mm-hmm. and i think this is where the big crux of how it differs from just like a route where you're trying to gain control take pieces or a straight game to where you're just whoever controls these three mm-hmm. areas then you automatically win is that you're constantly putting in yourself in position for different win conditions, either public yeah. or secret uh, positions. I would say it's almost more of like a, a self-driven narrative game. Yeah. I, so the the chronicle part of it really plays into, like when you're playing the Chancellor, right, you're playing almost a, a different game. Even though you're using the same level of mechanics, right, your whole mindset, right, you're trying to keep the power, right? So you almost always start off with, the winning condition, at least for our example game, right? It was rule the most sites. Yep. Um, the chancellor already starts meeting that condition. So they get the Oathkeeper title, et cetera, um, but they can't win until the last few rounds of the game. So when you're playing the chancellor, you're playing a game where you're trying to maintain power and kind of dictate how things go. And you can do that by offering relics and other things like that, offering citizenship. And uh, if you're in exile, you have to think, all right, what kind of victory am I going to pursue? Am I going to try to, you know, become a successor? So am I going to early on align with that chancellor to assist them in their cause, but maybe sneak up towards the end and, and succeed them as opposed to them winning? Or you can try to be a visionary or um, just a generic exile victory by taking the Oath Keeper and becoming a usurper. So, so let me pause right there mm-hmm. because I think we need to 
pull back a little pull bit into back the a little bit well yeah. no, not the setting pull back in time a little bit because we start off in the maybe 70s or 80s and you have D and mm-hmm. D yeah. takes you through what a campaign yep. right there is a beginning you're working your way through certain what do you call them encounters encounters you right and you reach an end mm-hmm. right and you wrap it up now you go from campaign and then a few years back, Rob Davio come, comes out with, and I forget the name of whatever the game was. I think it was like Seafall or something like that. But So that was, Seafall wasn't the, are talking about for Legacy? The very first Legacy game. Oh, no, 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 no Legacy. Risk Legacy. Thank you. Yeah. Seafall came after Pandemic. Gotcha. Okay, it, so thank you. So Risk yeah. Legacy. And so what Risk, uh, so what, when he put Legacy on the title, what did that do to what, what we thought of as campaign? Because a campaign you could reset and do over mm-hmm. again, right? A legacy game does what? You play one, you alter it, and the only time you're replaying is some of legacy have to where the end state of the board lane pandemic, you can technically play that again, but it's meant to be played through once. So essentially, like if you have a game group and I have a game group and we're both playing the same legacy game, we will probably have different different games, uh, different games yep. by the end. Our boards will look completely different because you're shredding components, putting on stickers, but there's a definite start and there's a definite, definite end. end. Now we bring in Oath. And what Oath does is what Matthew talked about in his chronicling. And from a narrative perspective, like you said, John, as you start out the chancellor, like any ruler, you want to see how long can I hold Hold onto power? power. Mm -hmm. So the reason why you want to win the game is almost like not just because you want to win the game. It's because you know that going into the next game, you start out again as the chancellor. chancellor. Mm. And and that's what I think is puts a smile on my face about Oath. Yeah, because I won our first game and my immediate thought was, okay, because I started the game as an exile. I took over one of the win conditions. So we'll get that, get into that a little bit more. Um, but my first thought was, okay, I start the next game as a chancellor. How can I continue on what I did? Because the really cool thing about Root is based on who won. Oath, Oath you mean? <laughs> yeah, with Oath. <laughs> Sorry, I'm probably going to say that again. When you win Oath, um, regardless of who you were, um, the, the, you save part of the board. Um, and some of the cards, then that is what starts the rest of the and board for the next game. It's like chronicling saving. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of legacy. Area, yeah. and it's specifically the areas you rule too. So it's even more thematic. So you were the exile, and you you won via a visionary, right? So we got to save the parts of the kingdom that you had your influence, you know, quote unquote, in. Yeah, and, and it will give maintain me maintain those for when you were overseen. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think when I started as chancellor, I will actually start with my strength in those areas. Mm-hmm. So kind of breaking down, it's like, okay, how do I take my actions? What do I do in the game? In its most simplest form, there are three different regions. And if you played a, a PAX game, this, some of these will sound familiar to you. There's three different regions on the, on the playboard. And in each region, there are two or three sites. These sites are essentially a card, and they're different in every game. This card will have a name, some artwork, but essentially the card will have maybe a little bonus action or a little special ability when you hold it. So, for example, one uh, card was the mountain. And if you had control of the mountain, uh, its special ability is that when someone tried to attack you, they got one less attack die because mm-hmm. you hold the high ground. So they're actually really thematic. Yes. Yeah. There's one actually, the location is like a sleeping giant. And its special ability is that you, if you're on the sleeping giant, you can transport to, uh, you can move to other locations easier because you're able to travel along the giant to different lands. Right. Yeah. He um, doesn't realize that you're on there and you're yeah. just hitching a ride. So at these sites though, and this is where I think the packs influence of the game comes in is that each card uh, has two to three for the most part um, 
game cards, like your normal size little cards that you draw from a deck that can be played into each site's tableau. Mm -hmm. And so one of the main concepts of the game is that, um, and it's similar to like if you played Lords of Hell, there's a difference between your units versus your character. Mm -hmm. Because in in, uh, Oath, your character can move around freely anywhere Mm -hmm. on the board without initiating any combat. However, only one person's troops can occupy um, a card or site. So only one person can rule that site. Um, but you get to take actions based on where your character is. Yep. And so it's all about, you can't just take any action on the board. You have to actually travel your character to a region mm-hmm. or a site that has some actions that you want to interact with, which is Tableau. Mm-hmm. But everyone is contributing to what this Tableau is, cards that are coming off from the Tableau, new cards coming in. Um, in addition, you have your own Tableau. Yeah, you do have, and I think, but your Tableau is limited. You own, for the base, unless you, maybe you get a relic or something we haven't seen in the game that modifies, you only get three cards in your Tableau. So you are kind of, you are incentivized to influence and interact with the board. Uh, and how this relates there, like, uh, and I talk about Pax Viking as a game um, that has that same similar effect. Pax Viking, there is a map on the board with all these different destinations and these different little ports have different unique abilities. So we're not really kind of fight each other just to fight each other, but maybe we're trying to gain control of a site because of the actions it allows us to take. Right, because the action came from a market of cards similar to Oath, where you have a cards, you pick up the cards and you decide where you're going to place it and you yeah. can add it to there. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's the general premise. How do I, what the actions? And so on your turn, uh, you're actually, each round, everyone takes a turn per round. There's yep. can be anywhere from six, well, actually there can be less, but there's anywhere, I'd say reasonably six to eight rounds in a game. Um, and on your turn, everyone gets one turn per round. Mm-hmm. You can take as many actions in any combination in any order as you like. And I really, really love this more than I drafted some cards and these are the only actions that I can take. Because I'm not, it's like, man, I'm not limited to a bad card draw or a bad draft. I have full control of the yeah. set actions, and, but you have a supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so your apply are kind of like your action points. Um, and so you can do any actions, but actions will cost you different so a- action points depending on what you're doing or what stage in the game. Yeah. And I think that's accomplished very thematically too. Um, so at the end of every round, right, you refresh your supply. But if you have more presence on the board, so if you have more of your war bands out, you're going to be replenishing less supply, right? So as your power grows, I think that's a good way to your spread stop yeah. stop the snowball effect too of someone who starts, you know, with a really strong position or gets a really strong position. It's going to be harder to hold because each round you're going to have less and less supply to be dealing. Yeah, because how it works is that when you would, everyone has a set number of uh, troops that mm-hmm. set beside their board. Um, and yeah, like John said, how many, so much supply or action points you get, essentially how many tokens you don't have over there, your war band. Yep. Um, but it's really interesting because when you recruit or you muster in the game, they don't go onto the board. They go onto your player board mm-hmm. as kind of like a resource now that I can use to spin and interact with the game. Yeah. Um, so like some actions in the game are drawing cards. And I think this is a really cool way that the game forces you to move based on how cards are drawn and discarded. And what I mean by that is that each region on the board, the three regions, each have their own unique discard pile. Mm-hmm. And usually you, wherever your character is, is where you have a choice. There is a global deck or you can draw from the discard pile. So let's, the discard piles are delegated then to the separate areas on yeah. the three separate areas. On so the let's board. say I dis, I'm in the middle region. I discard a card and it goes to 
whenever you discard, it goes to the region to the right. And if you're mm-hmm. at the rightmost, then it loops around back to the first region. Uh, but what can happen in the game is that there can be cards in a tableau, either a personal player's tableau or a tableau on the actual map. And for whatever reason, it may get discarded or replaced. And when it does that, then it moves to the next region. Mm-hmm. And this happened several times in the game that someone purposely knew what card was discarded. And so they traveled to the other region to draw. Yeah. Um, and it really was a really cool way. I thought that it forced, well, it didn't force, but incentivized you to move around the board yeah. and actually interact with the discard piles and actually try to keep track. Okay. This person lost control of maybe like there's an ability card in the game called, um, um, what are the mercenaries, mm-hmm. which you could pay coin to give you extra strength in combat that got discarded. Uh, and I lost that card, but it got moved over. And so I think either Dave, I did. David, yeah. he yeah. traveled and he searched in that discard uh, pile to get it. So it's really hard. These cards, when they're discarded, they're not gone. Mm-hmm. It's like these people, these thoughts, these ideas, uh, because a lot of these tableau cards are like people or things. Yeah. Um, they're just mood, but you can go out and recruit them back and put them into your personal supply onto the board. Yeah. Um, and, and one cool thing I like about the Denison cards to kind of shift the topic a little bit is that um, the whole like economy of the game is very interesting. So as you're playing these cards out to sites, um, you actually get money for playing them to different locations. And that money's split out to, you could call it the suit, the faction of the card. And I think there's six different factions. Um, yeah. There's Discord, Arcane, Beast, Be- Nomad, and Order, and Hearth. I think that's the six. Wow. Yeah. Well it's essentially um, the six suits. And, and all of the cards are very thematic. So like the... Uh, arcane i got to use this spell once that got to delete basically you remove a bunch of matthews um i don't know if it was order cards or something else or well, there's a wizard's fair, tower where to you be fair so he was so yeah so when he says right. matthew those were cards at areas i controlled correct yeah, yeah so he wasn't like personally i mean i was losing my own personal tableau yeah, but we all lost access to them yeah everyone but, lost access to um, them. the way that they interact with the game is really interesting because if you have a card on the tableau that say maybe you trade with them so you give them one of your secrets and you take money from it if that faction has no money in their bank that action's worthless right so yeah it's a closed economy exactly so how much different factions are being interacted with really does make a difference to how effective their cards are going to be so an easy way to explain that maybe a little bit better conceptually let's say for the nomads there's Mm -hmm. a card called mercenaries i think maybe that was the faction um and it costs one coin to hire them every time you spend a coin um it goes on the card which means you've activated it and you can't activate it again. But at the end of your route, it goes to their suit. And the thing is, if people are constantly interacting with it, there's more, there's no limit. But one of the actions you can do in the game is to trade. Yep. Trading is you, um, you don't spend a book, but you allocate a book to that card and you can take one or two coins or more from that same suit. So let's say nomads have uh, six coins in their stack because people have been using all the nomad cards. Um, how you trade is you get one base coin, but you get an additional coin per nomad that's in your personal tableau. Your advisors. Your, yeah. My advisors or whatever the other faction is. So let's say I have two nomads and I'm trading with a nomad card. I would get to take three coins from yeah. there. And so you're, it's it's really cool because it's like a, it's a, it's a literal supply and demand. Uh, because people are demanding all the resources, now they have a big fat stack mm-hmm. that now you can go trade with them. Um, so but then if you're not using the money on other Nomad cards out there, you're not going to be able to continue trading with them, right? So it's really interesting because yeah. you want to specify your Tableau or your advisors to give you the most benefit on certain actions. But then if nobody else is interacting with them, it's really hard to kind of keep that up just yourself. So it values you know, honing in on one specific faction, but also... Uh, having you know one of three different ones could be valuable because it would kind of open up your options a little bit more. 
Yeah. And um, another, you know, action you have in the game, like we mentioned a lot, is moving. You can move from individual sites. You can move from region to region. And how much you move costs you supply. So you're really conscious of, like, where am I and what access do I have to other cards mm -hmm. that will cost me the less to travel? Um, every little part in detail, you're constantly getting lost in this world. Mm. The art, uh, the actions that you have in it. Um, and the action combat system, I think, is is similar to other type of games like like Scythe, you know, the big thing is like combat is there, but you don't want to have to do it if you don't need to. And um, the way combat works in Oath is you can only initiate combat based on where your character is. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say I move my character onto a site that David controls. Um, because he controls it, I can now designate and say, so I'm going to do an attack action or muster action or whatnot against David. Um, but I don't have to necessarily, I attack, would attack that side, but then I can target, it's what the game calls, other regions that you control. Right. That can be other places on the board, or actually, uh, if you control relics, which is like special items, I can target a relic. Which is why the action is called campaign. Campaign, yeah. yeah right, because you're, you're launching a campaign. Yeah, imagine against. it's like, it's actually like a full-blown, just like narrative campaign. It's not right. a single attack. Um, but what's really interesting, you're, my attack strength is based on how many of my war bands are on my player board. We mentioned earlier that when you muster, they go into your player board, which essentially represents your strength. Yes. Um, but my strength is always the same. However, David's defense strength is increased the more targets that I choose to attack. Because yes. every site has uh, so much defense. Mm -hmm. uh, you get one defense die per uh, of your War units bands. on those sites. Yeah. And then I know the relics can have anywhere from two to three uh, defense dice um, on them. So my attack stays the same. However, David's defense grows the greedier I tried to get. And I think that's so cool that it's just not a set, okay, you roll dice, I roll dice, and we'll just see and win or take all. It's like, I have to choose my targets very, very strategically. And there was a lot of times like, man, I really want that site, but he has too many war bands, or I want to take that site, but it gives him better defense. Um, and it was constant, like, I don't want to stretch myself too thin in an attack, so I want to be very focused and deliberate, and you have to plan for it in advance. Right. No one was just throwing around dice and just attacking just freely. No, because the, the, the cool thing about the defense is there's, they multiply. So yeah. your offense just adds up, but your defense can multiply. So you could roll a times two, a times two, a times two, and then two shields. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what the defense dies look like, how they're dispersed, there's, um, there's a blank, there's two one shields, there's a two shield, and then there's a time two. And I think that would leave another blank on there. But yep. essentially what could happen uh, is that essentially the defense's strength grows exponentially, like you were mm -hmm. saying, because yep. you could roll two shields, but if you roll three times two, I mean, you're what is that? Almost yep. a defense of, of 16 or something by yeah. that point. Yep. Um, and so there were several times to where you're considering, he's like, man, if I had to do one... He, him getting one more dice mm -hmm. changes his probability from like two or four defense to now possibly 12 defense yeah. yes just over one die and it is it, it really makes you sit down it's like is this worth it um it's it's interesting to me i think the combat is is fairly balanced too though i think it's it's probably weighted in favor of the defenders just yeah. based on the sure you can get to a level where say you roll two or three times twos and a double like there's a point where you can't necessarily beat it but 
I think the offensive or the, you know, the attackers do have a lot of options because one thing you can do is sacrifice your war bands after the roll to add one hit per the one that you sacrifice yeah. yep, on the attacking side. So I think there was one chance where I think David was attacking you or Jacob was attacking you and you had a good defensive and role, but David he was able to sacrifice, I don't know, four or five, five war bands, war yeah. bands to get just above to displace you. Right. So if you're willing to pay extra costs, you can take that, which can be really powerful later in the game, especially to uh, maybe to get that Oathkeeper token back by, um, you know, in our um, law was owning the most um, sites. So he was able to maybe take that back um, and away from you. So it's really interesting. I like that idea of it because sometimes if it's just a straight dice roll, you can get, you know, kind of screwed. Yeah. But I mean, like the, the thing though is like the probability is still there. So you have to, so if you're just playing just to roll, you have to mitigate by yeah. the cards you control and the cards that are in your tableau that that help you, mm -hmm. your chances to to fight somebody. Um, but then also, you still can get, I mean, the probability is, is not non-existent, yeah. right? As a defender, you could roll, say, three blanks and one mm -hmm. shield. And as a, an attacker, you could roll, you know, two, you know, three hollow swords, which sure. shows half a point, half a point of attack, um, you know, and so on and so forth. So the probability is never not there, but I think you're right. I think it is, is weighted favor and it, and you have to make sure that if you are going to fight that you have a good chance of, yeah. of carrying that out. There's actually a mechanic like that in, uh, in path of light and shadow okay. where you're trying to get control of these tower defenses. And the yep. rule book says, if you want to control, if you want a good chance of controlling a tower, you need to have an attack value of at least blank this much. Sure. And so O says you should fear anyone with four, four defense, defense dice. dice. Yeah, and because it also says recommends having at least double your opponent's defense die. I think it yeah. said on that exactly. And I reference. mentioned in our kind of in our group chat afterwards when we were kind of talking about combat because I know that some people in our group, you know, this isn't. I would not say although you would want to do combat sometimes for strategic purposes. This isn't a combat fighting type game um and i felt that the combat was there but you didn't have to do it to win and a lot of times the combat was there to keep the game in balance yeah. uh you know instead of for someone just going you know just on a, on a rampage and just getting really op and stuff yeah. the the combat is there to keep the same way in root the way who we target and who we interact with the yeah. players balance each other the combat is the mechanism in which we balance each other and we were all right there kind of neck and neck in it at any one point yeah, in time it, it always felt competitive because very mm -hmm. little and i mean not always but sometimes it does but not always when you do a combat it's not necessarily always progressing your win condition sure. necessarily um so your second you're always like do i really want to do that because some because and we kind of get into a little bit of the the win state and i think that sure. may uh help the listeners understand your motivation for doing different things. Um, so each game, there is a main oath that is chosen and given to the chancellor. Um, this is the chancellor. Oh, so there's multiple. Oh, there's five different ones. Yeah. Really? Cause I was going to say that was going to be my, my comment about um, if you're afraid of games that are very combat heavy, um, you can have, so for example, because Matthew won with us, and we'll get into it more, when Matthew won with a certain vision, the next oath of the it's game based on is going to be based on that um, is holding so the peepers, cool. people's favor tokens. So Very cool. that one is going to be a Very lot cool. less combat focused. And the way you, you take that, you can take that via combat, but the most effective way to do that is going to be to amass coins so you can just buy the people's favor, right? So the next game we play, and this is what really excites me about oath, I think at the end of the day is I finish it wanting to play another game because i'm already already getting excited about all right there's going to be these cards but it's a new 
mechanic and some of the roles are shifting because now this next game, I'm going to be focused on trying to develop more of an economic engine and right. generate it's not about coins, right? the it's not about having a big cool. warband. And I think that's going to add to the replayability and maybe take some of the sting out of some of the more combat heavy games, knowing that it's not just going to come down to that every every game you play. Yeah. And there's also two little ability things that you can acquire Banners, real quick. And, yeah. Yeah, and then we'll go into the win conditions. One is the people's uh, favor. And essentially you can acquire the game. The token starts uh, with two, a coin or, or favor One on favor, there. Yeah. And how you take it is by you spend more favor than is on the card and acquire. So I spent three favor to acquire the card. And essentially this is thematically representing that I am giving people like me um, but each round, I either have one or op- one or two options. I can add an additional coin onto that onto that board, or I have to remove a coin if I can't afford it and put it back into the bank. Uh, and every time I do that, then it makes it easier for someone else to, to spend money and take it. So to keep it, you want to kind of put more money and keep investing. And the main ability that it gives you, I believe, is that whenever you would play a card into a tableau in a not a site but a region you can remove another card from that region yeah so because the people are favoring you they're willing to go out and do some work for you which is removing but you're constantly having to either spend coin or remove coin from it the other one is the book of secrets secrets um and and i got that one in our last game by paying you know it's the same mechanic you pay more knowledge than what's currently on it and what that one let me do was when i'm searching so when i'm the action that lets you draw from the deck. If I'm drawing from the deck, it's always going to cost me two supply. As more visions are revealed in the game, it increases the cost for that. So that was a useful tool to have. Yeah. Um, the interesting too, thing too about the people's favor is if it gets to six coins, it actually flips and becomes a mob. And then you have to pay additional coins every turn to keep that. So it's really interesting how a balance. someone can't just stack up to six coins and then you know, just keep it higher and higher and higher and run away with it. As soon as it gets to six coins, it flips and then they have to pay two coins every turn. Otherwise, I think it clears all the favor off of it. I'm trying to remember the Yeah, but it's super th- thematic because obviously you can uh, attack that cardboard and try to take it through combat um, and remove it from me. Um, but its defense is one die per coin that is on it. So the more I spend on it, the stronger it gets. But then it's also the harder to control. It's so thematic that you're trying to gain the favor of the people, but the yeah. more you feed into it, it's harder to control. So how does that feed then now into our win conditions? So Rook, so there are four main win conditions that are given to the chancellor. These are the only way the chancellor can win in the game if you are a chancellor. Uh, one is oath of supremacy. This is which we started the first game with, which was rule the most sites, right. not regions, but the sites that are in the region. Uh, the one that we'll be starting with the next game, because I won by a vision. Visions are sub um, win conditions that only exiles. exiles can get. And they're kind of based on the oath. They each have a course. And we'll kind of get oath, into yep. that a little bit. So multiple, literally everyone in the game could be going after a different win condition. So you're not just banging each other over the head, passing uh, a win condition necessarily. The second one is hold the people's favor. That is the oath of the people, um, which is the that token that we just mentioned. The next one is the oath of protection, which is hold the most relics and uh, banners, and so or combined. And so we talked about relics. Uh, certain sites, when you flip them out, they'll have a relic attached to them, which are these special like little ability items yep. that you can acquire. They it may be influence They're combat. Really cool it may inf- it influence how you interact with other people. There is one that's a cage, and you like trap mm-hmm. people in it as well. They're all just really thematic. And when you just sit back and things like. This just feeds into the world that we're playing in. Uh, and then the last one is the Oath of Devotion, which is hold the darkest secrets. 
Um, and these are all the ways that the Chancellor, when you start the game, if you won the previous game, you start with one of these tokens. Um, but if you become a citizen, uh, you have a chance to usurp. So mm -hmm. one of the things that the uh, Chancellor can do is, hey, John, would you like to become a citizen in my court? Heck yeah, I would. Yeah. What do so, you got for me? Well, I have this relic for you. Oh, a relic? That's right. Because the Chancellor starts with four relics. At the beginning of the game that cover up special abilities and david i think you right and these aren't these are not relics that the chancellor can use they are there to, to trade to trade oh, away yeah. to offer somebody to offer multiple people and i don't possible. even know what all abilities these are i don't even know how have you even scratched into what all they could do but they're really good abilities i'm assuming yeah once you once somebody becomes a citizen then that unlocks a special power for you so for example for me anytime i would do a search action through the deck i can search an additional three cards which is huge which is huge because you get to select which i love this the searching and this because not just draw a card take it you can draw a certain number of cards and maybe you can modify that and then choose from there mm -hmm. um and so the chancellor wants to make people citizens because they're able to trade relics and unlock new abilities uh, but if you become a citizen you have a chance to usurp yeah. the chancellor because each oath has like this little secondary a sub. a sub so if my citizen outdid me they would usurp me right. and, the, and they would take over the interesting thing too and that was uh, the victory condition i was going for david was our benevolent and kind chancellor and i thought i would jump right at my opportunity to become a citizen yeah um and my successor win condition was to hold the most banner and relic so i'd have to look at the components but i'm wondering if the sub condition for the successor um will lead into another one of the main oaths right so i mm -hmm. would have won on um the oath that i can't remember what it was the benevolent one where you hold the most banners and or relics so my assumption would be if i want to say successor the next oath for the game would be that one to tie up with that so it's really interesting how it flows um, based on the different win conditions. Yeah, and obviously the more we play, we would probably position ourselves in an in-game state to even better ourselves for the next round. But obviously it's going to take several games to uh, get that. Yeah. And the last thing that's really cool is that based on what win condition certain players are going for, there's three different ways the end game can be triggered of mm -hmm. uh, the first one and easiest one to, to go over is the the chancellor mm -hmm. so let's just get based on our first game there was the oath of supremacy um so david he was trying to have the most sites but he could only and david did have the most sites you know, early on the game but he can only win if he has the most sites in round six seven or eight mm -hmm. so it gives the other players time to work either together or against each other and manipulate the board state um and but it also has that tension we always talk about the tension in the in end game state because I know that David can win round six, seven, or eight, but you roll mm -hmm. a die. Uh, if the die on round six at the start of round six is a six or higher, which is only be a six, then that triggers it. And right, wins. So you have a one and six chance yeah. in round six. In round seven, it's five or higher. Five or higher. So now you have a two and six chance. And then does it go all the way down to three? It goes down to three. Yeah, so it skips four. Now you have a fifty percent chance. Yeah. But if it still doesn't roll that, then at the very end of the round, the chancellor well, wins. And the chancellor wins. So there's the constant tension. You know. So you can literally win on a die roll if you're the chancellor. The interesting thing, though, too, that we I, we actually missed when we were playing, and it it didn't matter because we didn't roll a six but if the chancellor does not have that oath keeper token that role is not made so um that's something where um, we miss that so i think jacob had it or maybe you had it matthew but the chancellor needs to have that win condition in order for that dice gotcha. roll to be made which makes sense yeah. right otherwise i would have just won and i wasn't saying anything because i would have won on <laughs> and, it and, and so here's so, you know. here's what the other win condition and you say the chancellor wins on a dice roll and while technically you could say that is true I think it actually adds to a little bit of the issues where people is like, well, he's going to win on his next turn for sure. Let's just attack him. 
Because what sure. can happen, another way that you can win is by, with the Exiles, there are visions in the game. Mm-hmm. And visions are cards that you can draw, uh, and they're identified. They have a different back, so you know they're there. You know they're in the discard pile. You can. It's not like these are just random, oh, we didn't know we have a vision card. You know their vision cards. You may not know what vision it is, but you know where it is, sure. who has it. Only one person can play it. Um, but with these vision cards... Um, you don't have to reveal them right away. When you play them to tableaus, you can put the card face, face down, down, which means it's not activated. But you can do that to any card, and then you could activate it at the start of one of your turns. Uh, but with those vision cards, mm-hmm. you win if that vision is true on the start of your next turn. Unlike where the Chancellor, you have to round, go to round six, eight. So what can happen is like, okay, we're starting round, we're about to start round seven. I know that David has his Oath Keeper uh, condition met. But he has a f- five, or he has a one in three chance of rolling sure. that die. Or I have uh, John here, who has likely to be able to meet his condition, and I know John for certain can win at the start of his turn. And so constantly there was that balance. It's like, okay, do I go after the chancellor because he's in good position? But do I want to go against the tension? Maybe he doesn't have it. Maybe he does. Do I want to focus on John? Maybe he has a face down vision card. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Or I could have my own vision card. And now we're in kind of a race, which I feel like this this is is a game where you don't, you don't want to do the same win condition that three other people that, that do at the most, I think, You'll ever have like two people maybe trying to vie for one condition because the visions the visions are unique, right? Yeah, the, so you're the only one that can have that particular exactly. yeah. vision. So each each game there's only one public objective everyone knows about in our game mm-hmm. that was roll the most sites. So yeah, you could go after it. it's easy. You don't have to get a card. You don't have to activate it, but people know it and see it coming. Yeah. Or you could try to vision prep yourself, play it, and then try to be in a position to hold onto it. It almost makes me think of like V for Vendetta. You have a vision for the people, right? Yeah. And like it's, if you, if your vision is strong enough, in other words, like, and mechanically speaking, if you've met the condition yeah. well enough and protected enough, um, people are going to jump on board with you because they see that, oh, this is a strong, um, uh, a strong idea that we can get behind. Yeah. yeah. And, and one thing that I like about how, the game approaches the the vision and some of the other conditions, right? Is that it, it gets away from it. It is kind of King making the game in the sense of that, this, you know, the decision, right? I can go to stop John because I know he's going to win this on the, his next turn and I can forego the dice roll. Maybe they'll roll a five or six and it'll be over. Maybe they won't. Right. But I think the idea that you can kind of decide when to play that vision out I People think that might makes, understand that you have one, but, but they unless, don't know what it is. Exactly. So, so part of the um, thing that you did, the reason you won was you had that um, vision. Um, I don't remember what it was called, but the one for holding the the banner of the people, you had had some favor stacked on it. You got your pawn to a good spot. Then you played that on your turn. And now we knew we had to try to do everything we could to get, um, you know, that away from you but it me. wasn't just attacking me you had to Correct. target me but then you had to specifically target target that, that banner, that banner well. which added more defense and i don't think it's it's king making because none of the actions we yeah. did like i'm doing i'm i'm sure it's sure it is king making i don't think so it's 100 king making but you were i don't feel like i we were ever making a decision well i have to attack you but that lets you win yeah, absolutely it does. You think so? I mean, like, okay, so for the listeners, this is our very first game and we did not have strong grasp on all the mechanics. Sure. Bleeding into the second, third, fourth, fifth game, game where everybody knows what's going on. We played the game correctly. We did, we did. Yeah. But um, being aware of what's going to happen, there are going to be times where if I I can't really win 
and on my turn, I, for the sake of the game, you know, you don't really want someone else to win. Sure. Because someone else winning means you don't get a chance to win. So now it's a matter of, do I pick so-and-so or do I pick so-and-so to win? But what Oath does with king making and makes it a much like, you know, it's, it's not like root, for example, where I could just, you know what, I'm out of this game. I can just send all my forces yep. after someone because yeah. they I never felt anyone was game. out of the game. No, well, yeah. what I'm, what I'm saying is what makes Oath different is that there's a next game. Yeah. And this game translates into that next game. Sure. So you might say, you know what, I'm going to forego winning to make so-and-so the chancellor next game. Oh, but yeah. But because I know what cards they're starting with, I can form some ideas well, on what I'm going to try to go even through. Even more than that, we didn't, no one agreed to it because I won. But even before you start the next <laughs> game, technically as, as part of the end of this game, I became the chancellor during that game. It's just at the end, right? Yes, right. At that point, I can offer people citizenship into my court at that exact moment. So it's not like, oh, we do that at the next game. Your decision, David, may have been, hey, you know what, Matthew, let's do this together. Make me a citizen in your court for the next and, game or something like that. And I think that's... Exactly. So, yeah. And I think that's where this game is just so different than any other from a gameplay perspective. You brought up a great point that I didn't even think about, right? So maybe I choose to do the move that would prevent Jacob from winning over Matthew from winning. But I did that because not just because I'm like, Hey, screw you, Jacob. Like I want Matthew to win. It's because, all right, if Matthew wins, the next game's going to be this win condition. And based on that, I know either a, I just rather play for this victory condition over that one, sure. right? That can be a, a simple decision, but sure. B, maybe I want to offer citizenship and, um, get a relic early on. So maybe I can go for, you know, setting yourself up for a future game, knowing that you could play off certain cards that are going to yeah, stay there. And, and I think that's such a cool, cause it's not like a legacy game where it's, you know, a one and done through. No, if it's you just wanted to play each individual game separately and just, Hey, we played the game once. We're not setting it up for another game. We'll just randomly pick an oath and play the game. You can absolutely do that. But I think it softens the blow of some of that King making, knowing that there's a lot that changes additionally yeah. that we haven't even gotten into the whole thing exactly. that happens at the end of the game where exactly. you add to the world deck and other things based on the spheres of influence that are in the game. And maybe, you know, that the spaces that Matthew ruled and you wanted him to win are going to give you cards that are going to better yeah. go on with your strategy. Right? We're all hoping we're making these decisions and not just the, <laughs> Hey, you know, screw you take that. Yeah. Type because what happens but, is, since I won, I there was a dominant suit in the rel, in the size I controlled, and so more of those type of cards are being added to into the, the game. But there's also stuff that we haven't gotten into. There's our sites, which are like like you can almost call like sacred holy cards that are, are edifices. played edifices, yeah. and they you can, can only put those in if you win as the chancellor or a citizen, which is another yeah. cool, interesting thing. And so it's like we're because the thing is in, in some games you're like oh I'm partnering up, I'm just going to be this guy's pawn. Being a citizen is actually is we'll probably get understand the strategy more but a really good position to be in because one what happens when your chancellor your pieces are gone and he you can't replace you. with the chancellor he can't attack you but also you have access to the chancellor's units the chancellor has the most units accessible in the game yeah so it actually in my mind is like why would anyone ever want to be a citizen mm -hmm. and i was like i do not want to be a citizen with david because i feel like i'll lose all agency uh, abilities, but getting a relic, having the strength of, I mean, you really do feel like when John became a citizen and he had your strength of troops as like, I legitimately looked at like, okay, I want to try to avoid John now because he's part of your union. Now you don't get to like, 
David was thinking he got to combine all of his advisors with John advisors from their super team. He's John still does his own attack. I can still with his person attack David even, um, or I could, um, you know, pay a costly price to exile myself again. Yeah. So you don't have to be, you don't have to stay a yep. citizen uh, because, Oh, we didn't even get to it. There's so, there's so many good things. There is an item, a relic, a holy relic called the sepulcher. Um, and whoever holds the sepulcher, the chancellor, citizen, or exile, you alone have the power to grant somebody. You mean, you mean the scepter, not the sepulcher. Scepter. Sepulcher. What is it? I was going to say, what's it's a sepulcher? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tomb. family tomb. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> the scepter. Whoever scepter. owns the scepter has the power to grant someone citizenship. So you can actually have a coup go on in this game. I was just thinking about it. If I, as an exile, I tried, I steal the scepter from you by a targeted attack. I have it. I was like, hey, John. You want to become citizens? I now knight you a citizen. <laughs> and then I can use his troops. Yeah. Depends. I, I, we'd have to check into the rules with some of the permissions, things you have to do to... I, but to I think that, that's but. one of the abilities, and I read the rule that it, it specifically said an exile can use the scepter to yeah. make someone else a citizen. So let's... So let's Unless you guys have something else that you want to add. Um. Well, I would... I'll, I'm trying to remember the last thing here. Um. But yeah, when I won, like my... it, This game doesn't feel like finite. Um, yeah. Like when we play some of these heavy euros, when we get to the end, it is over. Yeah, it's done. It, it is done. But I was more excited for let's get into the next game I and continue. Been, oh my goodness, because the next win condition is going to be holding the people's favor. And in my head already, I'm like, all right, so turn one. Matthew's going to start with two favor because he's the chancellor. So he's the only one that's going to be able to buy the people's favor on his first turn. So he's going to buy that and then he's going to dig for And it's just like, it was just going and going in my mind. I'm like, okay, okay. Like, how do we counteract that? Right. What would my strategy be to to do that. It's just like super interesting yeah. how. Um, and also too, this is not a legacy game. Even mm-hmm. though we've talked about like what you're doing impacts the next game. We're not changing the game as much as the rules or how it's played. We're, we're manipulating how the story is told more than how the game is played. Does that sure. make sense? Yeah. Shout out to uh, Dan Thoreau. He is one of my favorite written reviewers uh he runs a site called space biff and he said yeah he said i've played a lot of games about history this is the first game i've ever played about history building where you're where you're writing out history the the most freaking awesome component i've had in a game (laughs) is the journal book that comes in and it is Mm. good quality can we get a picture of david's drawing on the instagram we need to (laughs) yeah so there's a journal book and the journal page is actually a little way to help you remember the chronicle yes so it's a page there's some very very light little art in there um, but it's essentially you can draw a diagram, you can write a little sonnet, you can you can write the winner's name, you can draw little pictures and stuff, draw a castle. But it also has like a little symbology so you can like circle which oath was won or what conditions or denizens were added. Um, but it's literally kind of a chronicle and a story that you're telling. But I, I reiterate, you can literally just play this game as a one shot. Just, hey, we're just going to play oath. We play it. We randomly pick a uh, world setup. We randomly pick which oath we're picking. Uh, and you I think play you'd it be like missing that. out on a whole you lot. You would be missing out on it. But I, I sometimes when I see these like long campaign legacies, you know, that that's not Frosthaven because sure. we're playing that one. Um, but it's just like, <laughs> you know, no one's just going to jump in. But anyone could jump into our next game of oath. You just jump in as an exile. Yeah. And you and you play the game. Uh, I think it's going to. Yeah. And that's the other thing I want to mention. Because um, I know Brady in our group, he doesn't like feeling like, you know, I'm being ginged up. I want to feel like I won, not because someone let me or someone just had a bad die roll. If you want to play with, hey, you know what? I'm going to find a vision. I'm going to work up to it. I'm going to reveal it. I'm going to position myself so I survived that one round. You can do that, and you have you have that feeling of control. Or, you know what? 
I just want to duke this out with uh, Jacob, and we're just going to go try to go back and forth for whoever had the most sites. I feel there are very distinct ways to play yeah. oath in the same game at the same time. We didn't get much into like the negotiating, for example. Like John had a relic that I gave him, which was a cage where whenever you fight, normally the pieces that you lose would go to back to your supply. Yeah. Whereas this, any pieces you lose get locked up in this cage, which he then could have used for negotiation purposes, yeah. saying it's like, hey, you need these pieces back because of your supply. Yeah, yeah. And so you say, I'm going to do this, but you need to promise not to do it. So there's some, so again, for everybody knows, this is a very first impressions. We did not get yeah. into game two, three or four. There's some more negotiation that, that comes. I'm on. trying to remember the negotiating rules of like, let's say my character is at the same place. Your character is not are, binding oh. unless a card specifically says so. Yeah. Which I don't, there are, well, you played are. one. So I played a card that let everybody, like if they counselor. would like to travel for free to the site and then make binding agreements with anyone else that was there. The game does state that, you know, not all agreements need to be binding, which, I, I appreciate that it says that because, yeah, you could backstab some people and there's that little air. I love it. I feel like with us, we're not um, to, unless Matthew, when we're playing Dice Throne, yeah. uh, he just asked me in the so back of the time. So I hate when games tell me that that agreement has to be binding. Um, not because I want to betray somebody or I want that person to betray me, but I love the tension it, mm -hmm. and the decision. Should I trust him the or great Northern Alliance, man? Yeah, the eerie remember. You know, should I trust him? Has he, especially in a game like this where we're continuing, what has yeah. he done previously? And so I always hate it when games say this must be binding. I think that adds to the tension of it. For and sure. like, hey, you're going to backstab somebody? It's going to come back and bite you a lot. But I do feel, yeah, I can't remember. Is negotiation always available if like our characters are the same spot? We can always negotiate uh, favor or knowledge. I can't remember if that specifically, but there are a lot of actions in the game that will allow you to do trade actions. And there's always like negotiation is always on the table negotiate yeah. everything um what mm -hmm. cards are being played it's like hey i got these cards that I just drew this could help you but if i do this you know can you help me and make sure, sure. That i hold this position or something like that and some people will not like that because that is not you don't have winning. to do it because we didn't do it a lot you don't we we didn't do it hardly at all um but like some people won't like that because you'll say like well you only won because so-and-so was willing to negotiate sure. with you and not with me that's the game like, yeah. I, I'm sorry, but like, that's, that is the game. And so for me, but you can win without negotiating. Though. Yeah. Yeah. You can. Oh yeah. You, I mean, you can win without negotiating, but I, you know, let's say you're not negotiating, but mm -hmm. everyone else is like, I mean, you're not, you're not in, you could be on the receiving end of some really good stuff. Um, but we haven't gotten there yet. So I'm excited yeah. to see what happens when we do yeah. get there. And, that and, was, and we're still placing new worlds because we only oh, saved yeah. based on that game. I only controlled three sites. So only three sites are carrying over with their cards. So we get a lot of new cards. Yep. And I think that's the bigger thing is like, okay, which site do I want to go into the next game if I win? And that's going to impact sure. which sites I'm going to try to sure. control. So every, and then Cole even said, uh, this is a game to where four games in, you're still not necessarily like learning new rules, yeah. but you're experience you're learning new things that oath can offer because we're new cards new sites are coming in new ways to strategize yeah. so like four games in you know the game the game the rules are there the mechanics are sound but you're enjoying new surprises and, and that's what gets me really excited right so like david was saying this is just first impressions right we we've only played it once but my first impressions have just gotten me very excited to play it again right i'm not saying this yeah. is going to be the best game of all times i truly don't think this is a game for everyone right? oh no um but this game has gotten me really excited to play it more and it's got me thinking more than a lot of other games about that next play and what i might want to yeah, do because i i'm almost half like more than just like playing it to like play these euros that we do i want to experience it um mm -hmm. and so half of it is i want to play it i want to stretch it but the other part is the experience like because 
I'm just always constantly surprised. You know, if I sit back and think, this card is actually really thematic. This mm -hmm. action is actually really thematic, uh, whatever it might be, the artwork or the actions or whatever it might be. Because the more I thought about, like, the favor of the people, I was like, hold on, this is actually really realistically yeah. thematic. Um, and so I'm just constantly impressed by the way he's able to integrate. But I do agree, this is not a game for everyone. Sure. It's very, is esoteric a good word to put on? I don't, know, I don't even know how to spell that. So there you I go. think there's a couple K's at the end. Yeah. And also <laughs> the, I was, it took John and I putting our minds together to figure out how the in-game setup for it the next game. It made me feel really smart to get that figured out. I'm not going to lie. That that was, and they, the rule book is actually written very, fantastic. Also, I want to give a note, uh, highlighting the rule book there is the normal thing that leader games and Cole really do. There is the how to play, which, hey, you're playing this game. Here's the rule book you're going to read for your first go through. Then there's like the law of oath, which all the details. But that first play, it goes over all your base rules and actions, but then it gives everyone a first turn yeah. and a reason why you take the action. Because oath is a game. It's like, okay, I know a move action. I know a draw card action. I know you a don't trade know action. why you want to Why? Do it. That's yeah. the biggest yeah. thing we had a question going into oath. Why? And it's interesting to me too, because I think think and i understand how the scenario was set up but i almost felt like it put david at a little bit of a disadvantage because he probably could have strengthened his position as the chance or a little bit more on his first turn different things like that it was interesting how they kind of set up the board there's the initial setup but then there was that it was almost like we were setting it up a second time with like a different starting position so it, it would have been different even for david if he had started as the chancellor playing it again because he could have done different actions yeah i mean like we were definitely just pulling levers and seeing how to, you know how to things i mean there there was one point where something happened and again the dice can just not go in your favor and i really should have not won that combat against matthew yeah. but i did um and and matthew had some like really visible frustration on him for, for a little <laughs> well, bit Well, i forgot that you could sacrifice banners yeah. and i had a and i had a card that if i had activated would have helped me more but i didn't want to spend the resources yep. but i forgot well. that rule and i never felt that anyone won a battle that they didn't deserve, deserve. Um, because it's close. I mean, like, yeah, it, it, like I mean, you want it, but, but you I had to spend you, all my war bands and you yes. had to pay for that. I did. Um, yes. But you're never, I never felt no one just won a lucky attack and got something really good. You had to prepare, you had to set up, you had to strategize, yep. you had to go in it with a big force because one of the attack dice for the attackers, if you roll two swords, you also have to immediately sacrifice Kill off one of your, your yeah. war bands. But, yeah. um, so, I guess for me, and, and I don't know if, if there's, I, there's two things that I want to say. One is just a criticism. All right. And that is that oath says on the box that it's for one to six players. I do not see, I, I watched a solo playthrough. I don't think it's like for solo, it's not going to be worth it. It'll probably be where they come out with another Kickstarter and, and the community does what they did for root, which is like the better bot project. Sure. I'm sure they'll do yeah. something similar to that for oath um, and make it something viable. I don't think it's a game for two players. I, I, I don't, don't think it's a are game. The rules, are there different rules for a two player? Like no, I how think, big the board is? Because you might you might even play two players with a bot, I think is my what what you, you would do um with like the Chancellor bot. But even still, that takes out a lot of the fun from yeah. I think for me three to five. May, I don't even know about three, but for sure four, for sure five would be great. I don't know if six might be could be on the longer the too is, much side. Well, when we first started playing, it was like Okay, we were a little slow, but like the second half of the game, we were going at a good pace. You could easily yeah. play a, a four-player game of this in 90 minutes. Yeah, um, and agreed. that was just, and probably our second play, we'll play it in 90 minutes. So I definitely think at five, because um, I think at five, it's going to force some people to be going after the same strategy and sure. add a little more tension. 
on there and it may force you to do other strategies because the board is tighter you may have to do win conditions that because there's win conditions that do not relate to your control on the board mm-hmm. so it's going to force you to go after outside strategic negotiation yeah so that's my one criticism it's like player count like i don't see how one or two is even like a a, a fun thing like sure. don't go if you're listening to us and you're like man this game sounds awesome but you only have you can only play by yourself or you just have a gaming partner i would not recommend both um, but the other thing that I will say for me as, as a clothing comment, if someone's wondering, what does this feel like to me, this feels like it feels like Inish and Pax Viking had a, had a baby and the baby is better looking than both their parents, <laughs> which happens, <laughs> which happens. So, um, this is what to me, it, it felt like because it had the variable wind condition, but it doesn't like go on. Well, the expansion fixed that in English, but mm-hmm. people can beat each other. Like the game allows for it to happen. There is room for that. So, um, but then also Pax Viking, how the board tableau relates to your personal tableau um, and like the interchanging. Controlling of for abilities. Right, right. Sure. So that's to me. And like, those are, those are two games I know that Cole really li- likes because he's got a weird brain and he mm-hmm. likes weird games. And so I can't like, to me, seeing this game, we have, um, what's it called? Clank Legacy chilling in the corner. We're into game five. And we finished game five last April. We have not touched it. <laughs> in a Legacy game, you're just like, Ugh, I've got like several more games, but then I'll be done. Oath doesn't feel like that because each game doesn't feel like, oh, well, then now I have to get to this. And then mm-hmm. I have to get, no, it just. You're not just, checking boxes. Exactly. You just, yeah. you just keep going. You don't have to replay the same scenario if you lose. You just keep going. Yeah. Um, so we are just now we'll, for preface this, this is our first impressions, but, um, does anyone, uh, do y'all have any other negative critiques? You know, some may come out when we push the game a little harder into yeah. its mechanics and yeah, I, I think the only critique I would have, and, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just the barrier to entry, right? Like if there were four of us that yeah. sat down and played it, but when Brady comes back and, and maybe he'll try it, right. We're going to go through a, a more convoluted um, you know, not more convoluted, but, but we we'll go through the better. teach again and, and we can teach it well, but we're going to be a step ahead of him. And, and once everyone gets a couple plays, right, but it's not a game similar to root, right. That you're taking and bringing to any old person that you no. want to share with. This is a game no. that if to David's point, right, you have only a, one or two people you play games with, or you have a big group of people that you play games with and they're all pretty casual, right? Like this is a good game for people like us, where we have a pretty solid gaming group that we'll play regularly. We can get into games understand complex mechanics so the barrier to entry is and it's like high. willing to sit through Correct. you know 30 40 minute it, teach if not if and necessary. it's it's not marketing it, it marketing itself as a mass market game anyway so i'm not trying to fault it for this just make sure you know people are aware this isn't a game for everyone yeah it's just one of those games where you have to want to learn yeah want to go after it's not and it, but it, but i the rule books were fantastic uh, going in there and it just walks you through the mm-hmm. it's the rules are always real there but it's just the way Cole and it's going to be like with the John Company second edition I feel it's going to be the same way even though they kind of made it a little that one seems even cleaner. weirder but they're just different yeah. like you can't relate okay yeah um, you remember that game we played the other week this is that mechanic you're no. going to do that over no. um, it that's why I kind of said esoteric it's very abstract and conceptual but it's so beautiful and unique and it's new it always he, Cole's games always feel fresh in the way if you enjoy because I love board games for the mental challenge of it as much as playing with the guys and having a fun yeah. time. I enjoy 
that pushing myself, that learning, that discovery, that ex- full spectrum experience. And I feel Cole's games do that unlike any other just, hey, here's just a mass market game or here's another. No, nothing against like Fantasy Flight or some of these sure. Euros. We love these games. But it just it just provides an experience. It provides an experience. You can still game it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I love it. Um, so right now I'm giving it um, two thumb oath keepers up. Uh, <laughs> we're not, I'll, I'll hold off my official rating and score until we get some more plays of it. Yeah. It's, I, I really loved my first play and I'm yeah. excited to play. Conan quality is fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it actually, the one thing about play mats that always killed me is like storing it. Like, what do you do? You can't put it in the box. This box was designed to roll up the play mat, put it inside there. It's good trade fodder. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> um, so that's our first impressions of Root. If you can't tell, where Oath. <laughs> I knew it. Gosh, freaking darn it. I, I told you I'm going to do it again. That was our first impressions of Oath, the Chronicles of Exile. So I get the full name right. Empire. Empire and Exile. Um, and so if you can't you tell, we are just elated and we're excited to see what the game brings us. And then watch this next week. Well, we played one more game and we absolutely hate it. <laughs> Never going to touch it again. There's a copy up for trade. Yeah. yeah. Heavy, heavy discount. But I don't I don't expect that uh, yeah. happening anytime soon. Um, so, yeah, let us know if, if you got a chance to play it. I think now most of all of the Kickstarter copies uh, for the U.S., for the states, have been delivered. I know uh, our, our, our misguided one, David, here traded his, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Like you said, this is definitely a game three, only, two, three people. You need one copy in your game In group the game too. group. Um, that's not because it's not good. It's just the uniqueness of the game. I'll, I'll never play this game without... Like, hey, we're going to a convention or something. Hey, you guys know Oath. We know Oath. Let's get together. We play it. We love it. Something like that. Um, I don't, yeah, my my grandmother's not playing Oath with yeah. me. Um, yeah, but that's our initial thoughts, and we're excited about it. Um, but we're going to get into our kind of um, the roundup we've been doing and uh, board game mechanic breakdown uh, for the month. We've been going through different mechanics, uh, talking about what the mechanics are, what we do, what we don't like about them, games that implement it well, maybe some games that we think didn't implement it as well uh we've done asymmetry uh tableau building uh bidding auction games and david what are we doing this week all right so this week we are touching on real-time games real good time real time real time so to explain uh what in your definition or how you see what makes something real time it may be an easy definition but how would you describe it yeah so basically just it's a game where you have either rounds or turns and within those turns there is a set clock Mm -hmm. and your actions are taken within that clock and then when the clock expires either the game ends or it resets for a new round and then you know from there whatever the the victory conditions are so on and so forth yeah so uh, some examples of that would be a game like XCOM or like project elite where there are certain phases where you have a clock going like david was saying and everyone's simultaneously taking actions typically in these games maybe they're fulfilling different roles in the uh, like idea of XCOM and in project elite we're all kind of doing the same thing we're doing a little differently um, but then at the end of that timer, there's a phase where we kind of reset the board, maybe advance the enemy. Typically, there's a, um, you know, a, they're more cooperative from the ones that I've played, at least mm-hmm. um, advance the enemy, do some kind of mechanics there, set the board for the next round, kind of discuss what you're going to try to do. And then, boom, the clock starts again and you keep rolling. Yeah, I love real time games because of the natural tension it gets. A lot of times these games are quicker, like like you got a one minute timer, two minute timer two and a half minute timer for this round. And so sometimes the issues or difficulty actually comes from myself. Maybe I'm 
I mean, I'm doing things inefficiently with like de- dexterity. We don't play a lot of dexterity games, but I feel like real time games add to the dexterity. Yeah. We mentioned the Project Elite. You're, you're rolling these dice, you're activating these cards, you're moving these monsters. But there's been times I literally moved my hand, I knock over several <laughs> of the aliens, I got to put them back up. It's like, I'm no, my body. Just lost me time. And you're wasting I know. Time. Yeah. It's like, no, no. And my body is physically getting in the way. Another great uh, real time game that is also competitive and cooperative is uh, Captain Sonar. Um, play this 3v3 4v4 uh and your each team is operating a submarine in the you could technically play this turn by turn and that's that's a crying shame to play the game that way the real way to play it is in real time um but it's literally my if my team is more efficient because every player has their own little dry race board with different actions and you have to communicate to be able to do actions legally um, if I can do that better, you know, we can say stop, we've activated a torpedo and we can get out more torpedoes than the other team if we're uh, more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also has dexterity because one of the things you can do in the game is um, you have to eventually bring your uh, submarine up to kind of clear out some of the, yeah. the, the, the chemical waste and the radiation. Uh, but each player has to do a little dexterity game where they trace out a portion of their submarine that they're working on mm-hmm. and pass it around and see if you can do that real quick. Um, so that's a, that's a real time. Another real time game that's super popular is Galaxy Trucker. Now, you Yahoos, except for John, because I don't know if he's played it. I have not. John's played it. The rest of you Yahoos don't like Galaxy Trucker. I think Galaxy Trucker is a good game um, that, that we, that yes, that Steven is phenomenal at and far superior at. I us. enjoy it. It's just when my ship just, it's just complete. It just, it's, it's, I think I might need to look at it differently because it's, you build your ship and then you can see if your ship can be destroyed less than the other players. I remember playing this game for the first time and I just laughed because I built <laughs> no. up this, like I thought was this great ship. And then by the end of the round, it was just like I was traveling through space on one rocket and like one thing. But it's but it's not real time because there's a timer. It, the, the players are the timer, right? Yeah. Because once someone completes their ships, then they activate the final minute or two minute timer. Yeah, basically. And so uh, you complete your ship, you grab basically like a first, second and third, fourth place um, tile. And then it's up to everybody else because once everybody else has grabbed it through the last one, you have to stop. Um, so, but that's a, that's a really fun game. Yeah. What it, it does really good well too. And I enjoy uh, it is that you're, you can get so focused and so lost in what you're doing yeah. that you're not paying attention that this other person has finished their ship and already flipped the timer. Oh, and you're just yeah. you're like, Oh no, I'm just out of luck. Yes. And so you constantly kind of have to keep one eye. It does help in galaxy trucker. I will say to have played it before. No, because there's, there's literally infinite ways to build your ship. Yes. Uh, and especially if you're playing with different modules, but knowing what could possibly come in that round or mm-hmm. in that voyage helps with uh, how to build your ship more efficiently. And that's yeah. my my one struggle so far where I've had, I feel like a less than positive experience with some of the real-time games we played, like XCOM. I was still relatively new in the hobby when we were playing that game. And, and of course, I was given the easiest job of like flipping over the um, event cards or whatever, intruder cards, and and, read, and deciding which one to, to pick and then going from there but it can be really stressful especially in a cooperative setting if you aren't extremely familiar with you know what actions are you know good what's bad what the the main purpose is and it wasn't like it was a bad teach i understood what we were trying to do but i had to flip over two cards and choose between one of them to keep and i had no way of weighing like what was good what was bad and so i feel like i was letting the team down and felt you know very stressed under pressure for making this decision really quickly which can be really detrimental to the experience but i can see how if you were really good at them you kind of had a good grasp on the mechanics and how it goes but you'll only learn by playing 
um, they'd be a lot yeah, more XCOM, enjoyable. XCOM was fun. Um, mm-hmm. Steven did a good job of not quarterbacking. He just yeah. let us lose, uh, which was great. Yeah. Uh, but it was, yeah, yeah it, it felt thematic and it felt fun what, what we were doing. And of course, yeah, the real time aspect certainly adds to the stress. Um, so I'll name a, Have you guys played Fuse? Yeah, I have it. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it's a 10 minute game and you're just trying to defuse all kinds of bombs throughout the game and you're, you're doing that by dice rolling. So it is, I mean, it's a little random because you're but constantly It's really cool because it's, it's geometric because sometimes it's more than just getting a certain color or a certain number. You have to physically stack your yeah. dice so or you to have to defuse, make a pyramid. Yeah, so to defuse the bomb, you have to get the dice in certain color order or get them in certain number order or then stack them, as Matthew just said, yeah. in, you know, from building your base yeah. with this first set and so on and so forth. So it is a fun game. But the, the key though is that it's 10 minutes. Like if it, oh, were, yeah. if it were longer, you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another one that I really enjoy just, just for fun factor and it's, it's silly and goofy and it, you wouldn't think something I enjoy, but magic maze. Uh, so the main premise is that there are four uh, pawns out on the board, a different color. No one is actually the pawns and they're trying to go through this maze of a mall um, and, and get to a certain location and then come back and exit. Um, but how you move the pawns, each player at the table um, can only move pawns a certain way. Okay. So you can only move pawns north direction. I can only move pawns south direction. Another character, they can only move pawns up or down escalators. And so to get this pawn to move to this one location, we are all going to have to do different movements on that one pawn. But there's four different pawns that have to go around. But the kicker, we can't talk. Mm. So mm. I can't say, John, move red. Move red north. John, move red north. There is a little orange token that you could hit on the table next to somebody to grab their attention or put it in front of you <laughs> to grab your attention and kind of, so you can only communicate with this like little orange token to try to direct someone because someone maybe focus on one part of the board, and not realize that they're the only person that can move the pawn yep. on the other side of the board. And it's silly and it's fun. And it actually like each time you play, you go through different levels. And so there's kind of a leveling system That's with great. the difficulty, but it's just a, a goofy fun, but you feel the tension because you, you, you have a timer, you have a timer with yeah. it and uh, you, um, and there, what's really cool is that you can reset your timer if you get to a certain part on the map. Mm. And so it's like, oh no, we're running out of time. We need to go get to this little spot so we can flip our timer to get more extra time. Um, so that's a really fun one. Yeah. And then another real time game I've played, um, and the name's escaping me right now. Um, uh, mountains of madness, I think it's called. Um, it's mm-hmm. effectively like a, an escape game. You're trying to get off of a mountain. Um, and the, the kicker of it is as you're getting higher up the mountain or, um, you know, progressing through the game, each person gets these madness cards, which limit the way you can communicate. So maybe it says if someone says this word, you have to yell and then be silent the rest of the game. And, and the basic premise of it is you flip over a card and you need to generate a certain amount of those resources or those items uh, in order to suffice the condition. But it starts off with everyone being able to say, oh, you know, I got two pieces of metal. I got this resource, right? That we all pass them to the one player. We flip it over. Did we meet it or not? Um, but as the game progresses, some people maybe can't talk or can't say certain things sure. or have to, you know, jump up and down. It's it's a it's a funny game, right? It's a, a more family, but um, it's a fun real time kind of cooperative game as well. A lot of uh, party games tend to be real time. Like yeah. the other team, you only get this certain amount. Like I think like Taboo, for sure. example, is, Telestrations, is, Telestrations like is another yeah. one. So what do you guys think makes a real time game fun? Uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, the, the tension of it, it's it's obviously short. It's You know you can play this again, um, but it's the tension of it. And literally that standing up on my tippy toes trying to move this piece real sure. quick before the timer goes yeah, out. It's a lot of fun. And it, it, it just gives you a different. And a lot of times you're seeing someone just start squirming across the table because they're trying to get something done. And, and it, 
it brings out fun. I don't like games that tell you to do stupid stuff just for the sake of it. Sure. Um, I played this one game. It's an apples to apples rip off one of the millions of them, but it was like, <laughs> it was about doing accents and I can't stand apples to apples because it's give a point to the person you feel sad for, not for the person who did it the best. So one of them was Man, you going to apples, to apples way wrong. That's let me right. Tell you. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I'm in games where people play them real wrong. John, I give it to the person who does it best. Well, on my birthday, we'll play apples. To there apples. we go. But it was, it was doing accents. So like one of the accents was speaking in, in a, in a pirate accent. Um, and I felt like I did mine phenomenally, but there was a girl there and she hadn't got any cards. She hadn't won anything and we, they were feeling bad for her. So they gave her one. Um, so I can live without those, uh, party games. Yeah. So then on the, on the flip side of that, then what makes a real time game not fun or maybe who is it not for? It's not for people that need to take a long time to process what, right. yep. what they're doing, right? Like I'm someone who can usually pick things up pretty quickly. So if there's someone yeah. who's going to get frustrated real easily, right? Like quitters shouldn't play real time games because they're going to get frustrated if they make a mistake. You're going to make mistakes in these games. They're not made yeah. to play perfectly. Thankfully, right? most of them are lighter though. And yeah. you can say, Hey, yes. this first one is just a practice round. Yeah. Yeah. And so that comes with like what you were talking about, XCOM, the barrier of entry. Sometimes when you don't know. That's a heavier real time game. Right. So because the idea is you have a certain amount of time to be efficient. Well, yep. if you don't know how to be efficient, being efficient well, is, the time yeah. you don't get longer time. Sure. Although maybe some of them you do get longer time, but still. Um, and so that may turn some people off. It's just they sure. don't want that stress. They don't want that tension. Mm -hmm. It's 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 too much. So, yeah. Well, Matthew, I hope you have the applause track ready because I think we have a giveaway. That is right. Um, we mentioned on our last episode for our thousandth listener, listener we're going to be doing a giveaway of some games. We we had talked about some you know games leaving our uh, our shelves and stuff. Some great games. We just don't get them played anymore. Um, and so let me make sure I got our, our clap track ready to go. Okay, it's ready. Okay, so uh, for the winner, and uh, so some of the options that we have for the giveaway, and we'll give you a list, and you can choose from uh, whichever game you like. I think someone that were on the list was like Converna, Architects of the West Kingdom, Survive Escape from Atlantis, Indulgence, New York Slice. Uh, we'll have a, a list for you to choose. You, hey, I, you're showing up to the board game store, and you get to pick a game for free. This is essentially what it's going to be. Yeah, it's a great group of games. Yeah, and uh, there's there'll be more. We'll send you a, we'll send you a full list to choose from. All expense paid. We'll pay for shipping. We'll get it out to you. Um, for that. So our winner for, can I get a drum roll? Is a good sir, Joshua Banks. So I'll give it up to Joshua. For the contest, we were, we gave out a, a picture on the Instagram for a setup for Cryptid because it's a game we've been talking about that we enjoy games that make us feel smart. And he was one of the ones who sent a submission for finding the correct places. And when we, he was the one that was selected. So Joshua, congratulations, man. Joshua, um, uh, Josh and I played soccer together in college. So love that. Hey, there you go. There you go. Um, so not rigged, by the way, what I said, not rigged, by the way, not rigged. No, 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 no. no, no. no. I, I am not an official host <laughs> of this podcast. That's nothing no, to do with yeah, me. So. David doesn't have access to the accounts, um, but we'll be sending you out. Uh, just be keeping an eye on the, on your Instagram messenger. Uh, we'll be sending you a list and choose a game that you like, or you're interested in or whatever you want, man. And we'll get that shipped out to you. So we're, we're excited for for that um and we just want to thank everybody uh, our listeners those who come along on this journey with us um it's we just thank you for all your support encouragement uh we love doing this uh we don't get paid to do it we just do it because this is this is what we enjoy the yeah. hobby the space like jo uh, john telling the story of uh those little kids they had that board game of Catan and they haven't played it and it's like hey john likes board games maybe he can come over and teach yeah. it and like them getting excited and experiencing that because man i we were playing monopoly and clue and 
cheating every three seconds, sliding <laughs> paper money underneath the board or underneath my butt or something, sitting on it so no one saw it. I mean, don't expose my secrets. It was always, it was always like getting people to play games was always like a miserable experience because they were always like, oh, we'll do it in a little bit, and then they never actually do it at family yeah. Christmases or Thanksgiving. Um, but when I got into it later on, it was just that enjoyment of shared experiences with other people and constantly challenging yourself and experiencing new things. And I think, um, maybe, maybe you will call us nerds. Maybe we are, but, um, I, I enjoy the, the discussions, the people you come in contact mm-hmm. with the stories like John had there. It's like, Hey, there's things you can do more than playing Fortnite 10 hours a day, True. which, Hey, nothing wrong with that. If you enjoy it, I've been getting deep into the sauce on <laughs> Witcher three, uh, because of the old, Witcher old world coming out. And so, you know, stuff like that's fun, but you know, Hey, get out or stay in and play a board game. Matthew, you're definitely, you're definitely the nerd between John and I, Mr. Uh, Battlestar Galactica over here. If you want to listen, push, if you want to push up your glasses up a little uh, bit more, I, we need Hell to do a nerd. we need to do a bonus episode at some point about like film and TV <laughs> and stuff hey. like that. Uh, Battlestar Galactica is a phenomenal uh, science fiction show. You just like um, that one actress. What's her name? Starbuck. Yeah, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to wrap this episode. Yeah, up. bro. No. <laughs> Hey, how are diamonds made, John? (laughs) Extreme pressure. Extreme pressure. All right. That's going to be it for this week's episode. Uh, As always, I'm Matthew. I'm David. And I'm John. And this has been The The Discussion Discussion Phase. Phase. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Discussion Phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at the Discussion Phase for new posts and reactions to games, or you can get in on the discussion and send us an email at discussionphase at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>